Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Diane Mays. And I'm Aaron Rooney. And I'm Heath Calhoun. Um, first and foremost, thank you, Diane, for coming on. Um, we're going to jump right in. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? It seems as though you've had a pretty unique journey and you've experienced diving at all different levels. And I'm really excited for our listeners to hear your story. Well, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, well, I think I've started off the way a lot of divers have as a former gymnast. Um, but I really thought that once I tore my ACL when I was I think 12, almost 13, that that was the end of me doing a sport that I thought was really fun. Um, and it's kind of funny, like the story of how I got found as a diver is now probably really creepy. Um, but I was at my summer, um, you know, local neighborhood swimming pool, um, jumping off the diving boards, doing gymnastics. Um, and this older man, I mean, probably when I was 13, I thought he was a really old man, but probably was probably in his 30, no, probably 40, 50s, um, came to the local swim clubs in a van and, um, see, exactly. And <laughs> come and watch the kids on the diving boards. And he approached me. And of course, like any other kid would do, I talked to this gentleman who I didn't know. And he asked, you know, where, where's your mom? And I said, she's over at the kiddie pool with my little brother. And he's like, well, take me over there. And of course I'm thinking, gosh, what did I just do? You know, like I thought I was in trouble. So we walked over there. And of course, in my 13 year old mind, the story was pretty much, he said that they're starting a new diving program at a local university. Um, it was an hour away and that they were going to be taking kids from around here and bringing them up there. And like the next day I was in this guy's van driving up to this pool with a bunch of other kids. I'm sure that's really not how it went. Um, I would like to believe that my parents were much, you know, they are very well educated that they got a lot more information before they just threw me in someone's van um, just <laughs> to, to diving. But um, that is how I started. I was 13 years old and it, and I really never thought I could be a diver because a lot of my friends on the swim team and dive team were part of another club that practiced in Philadelphia. I grew up right outside Philadelphia in the suburbs um, and a lot of kids went to another club and I went and tried out for that coach and he pretty much told me go find another sport. Um, so I really thought I was not able to be a diver. And then this other person comes around and says, no, no, we're going to, start a team and we want you to try out. And, you know, that was the beginning of, of my diving career uh, there for a couple of years and decided wanted to go to camp. And the camp that I chose to go to was down when Mission Bay was around in Boca Raton, Florida with you know, Ron O'Brien and went there, had an amazing experience um, at the end of camp was actually told by Ron um, that if I wanted to come dive down there, I had a spot on his team. And I was then. So I came home, told my parents, and I was telling everyone that I, you know, could find to talk to that Ron O'Brien said I could dive with him. And my parents like, okay, before this child embarrasses herself anymore, we better call, you know, Dr. O'Brien and see what's really going on. And sure enough, he said, yeah, you know, she can come down here. Um, you know, have a spot on the team. So my bags were packed, and within two weeks, I'm down in boarding school, um, down in Mission Bay, and 
had obviously an amazing experience, but now I'm 16, 17, my you know, sophomore, junior year of high school, and my torn ACL, because back then they didn't repair them right away. My torn ACL was not doing really well with these long practices and sometimes two a days. And um, we all decided that it'd be best for my senior year for me to actually have reconstructive surgery and hopefully become whole so I could continue to dive. And so I did that, came back home to New Jersey because my parents were very sure that they were not going to pay for a boarding school education to rehab my knee. And so I came home and unfortunately couldn't return to the program that I left as a junior because they had a policy. Once you leave, you can't come back. doesn't matter who you leave to go train with. Um, and so I was fortunate enough that the former coach at Princeton, Greg Gunn, said that I could come and train with him. So he got me back into shape and back me back on the boards for my senior year of high school and then ended up at as a freshman at Pitt after that that was a challenging experience for me on many levels um a lot of it had to do with race and identity um being in the sport that I was in didn't go over well with a lot of the other athletes there um so I left diving and but stayed at school and then some coaches found out that I wasn't diving anymore and were like what's going on why aren't you diving why did you drop off the face of the earth and um I really missed it I love the sport and so I found a way to get back into it and I ended up going moving back home to New Jersey and going to a division three school um but then it was Trenton State and now it's the College of New Jersey and did there for my last few years of college. And then after that, wanted to train a little bit more. My internship for college ended up out in San Diego. And I was able to dive at Mission Viejo for the last year before I turned and accepted a job coaching at Mile High Diving and University of Denver. And that was my first Division I coaching job. Um, found out my life was changing even more when I was there. Found out I was um, pregnant with my wonderful, amazing son, who is now 19. Um, and so I decided I was going to move back home where people knew how to raise children. So went back home to be near my parents and was offered the job at University of Penn and at LaSalle. And uh, the University of Penn job, while it's wonderful, was more than just a diving coach job. It was to also manage and run their fitness facility. And being a brand new mother, was not probably the best thing for me to decide to do. So I took the position at LaSalle and had a wonderful time there for five years. And um, then ended up, yes, took, left that and took a job at University of Richmond. And that was very short-lived. It wasn't exactly all it was supposed to be. And, but I still ended up staying in Richmond, Virginia for the last 12 years. And now I'm trying to bring diving to the city here. Sorry, long drawn out story, but I have lived a long life already. So a lot to get me from point A to point B. Yeah, we uh, like it. That's go ahead. I actually, yeah. So I heard you correctly that you went to Pitt for a minute, correct? Uh, yes. I know you do with Julian. And so <laughs> I, I have to ask this question. Do you have a Julian sh story that you are able to share with us? Matt O'Neill shared one with us. And uh, I feel like anytime somebody dives for Julian, we like need to ask. Cause I feel like that's a way for us to sucker him to get on, to come on this and defend himself. So if you have one that you're willing to share. Um, probably not with the world. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone has a Julian story. He is beyond lovable um, in his own way. And yeah, no, I, I did find it was do- so different. I mean, diving with the O'Briens, because Tim and Ron were both my coaches. Tim was my junior coach and Ron was my senior coach. Um, diving with both of them, then diving with Greg Gunn. I don't know if you've ever experienced his procedures and ways. Um, runs a very tight ship, but it's amazing. Um, you know, the gentleman's brilliant when it comes to the sport. Um, and then going to the pool deck at, at Pitt, it's loud, It's but it's energy. It's fun. I mean, it's just so different. I mean, Julian's like yeah. fun and loud, so much different than the other two coaches, the previous coach I just yeah. talked about. So it just was a complete like, whoa, what's going on here for me? Um, yeah. and, and in return, the athletes are loud and, and, you know, with a lot of energy and it was not at all at, like any other team I had experienced before. So that's, that's good enough. Like you said, sometimes we have those stories about our coaches and it's like, eh, we're not going to share that one. But no, I think you, <laughs> you described it very well, like high energy, I saw that he, his daughter just got married and he wore rainbow Crocs to the wedding. Amazing. I saw that too. Yep. Yes. Walked her so, down the aisle in rainbow Crocs. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and that's, that's incredible. So Diane, we exchanged a few emails back and forth. And one of the questions I was, I was uh, excited to ask was what gets you excited about diving? Um, literally everything about it. Um, <laughs> I, love introducing the sport to someone who's never tried before or people who say they can't. And, you know, especially here in Richmond where there's very few diving boards, um, very, very little access at all. I mean, a big part of it for me is I coach almost a larger part of the independent schools here and we get a lot of seniors, um, a lot of seniors who have done other winter sports and they are like, well, I'm going to be sitting the bench for most of the season, so maybe I'll try something else. And I come in and give my little spiel about the dive team, and it's awesome. We only practice three days a week because that's all we can get board time for. Um, and and I promise them they don't have to wear speedos. And <laughs> it's it, it's fun to get that draw. And majority of the time, it's usually boys who are like, oh yeah, I want to try it. Um, and just watching the aha moments and then the parents who actually you know, come all like their parents will come out and see what's really going on. Like my child's diving, like there's no way. Um, and seeing how much fun the guys are having and um, then they all end up coming to States and it's just becomes like the excitement of it. Um, you know, we all know how wonderful the sport is, but the more we can share it with others. So that's, that's a big part for me is introducing it and the aha moments for people. Um, but you know, going somewhere and seeing a pool that has like real diving boards, um, that's hard to find. Um, and that excites me. And, you know, it's, it's the weird things about being a diver, you know, you can walk somewhere and you can smell the chlorine from a mile away. When you get on campus, like you just know where the pool is. You can smell it. Like those are things that truly excite me about, about our sport. As you were saying that you, you mentioned, to the boys. Hey, you don't even have to wear a speedo. I can't even tell you how many times I've used that line. I'll every once in a while, I'll go into the school and I'll, and you know, there'll be a a group of the skateboard kids or the snowboard kids. And I'm like, Hey guys, I know you love to snowboard and that's a winter sport, but come hang with me three days a week. You don't have to wear the the goofy speedo. Like 
let's just make this happen. I know you have some great body awareness. Like, let's see what we can do. So that's, that was fun to hear you talk about that. I yeah. did the well, same thing. The cool thing is that when we go to meets and they see the stronger divers and they see the ones that, you know, wow, like really can dive and they're all wearing Speedos, they make the decision on their own. And I do tell them at the very beginning, I said, if, and I said, like, if the fat chance that you qualify for states, you probably will want to have a Speedo for that meet. And, yep. and we've gone through, you know, several months for the high school season and they all come all proud to wear like their fancy new Speedos. <laughs> but, and it actually does make their dives look a heck of a lot better. <laughs> yes, always. Yeah. When, when I see those board shorts flopping in the front one and a half, I'm like, okay. How, yep. how serious am I about no speedos? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you know, you definitely mentioned one of the things you're really passionate about is uh, bringing diving to Richmond, Virginia. You know, what does that look like? Um, you know, how did you decide that? Is that a plan you have thought out? Is it, I would imagine that is something that's going to take some time. So, you know, how do you go about looking at the landscape of it and creating that process that you're hoping to? Um, well, you know, with the past couple of years when pretty much the world took a pause, um, it allowed for a lot of things to happen. Um, and one of them was USA Diving acknowledged me as the first um, Black Division One diving coach and first um, female, I'm pretty sure, um, NCAA champion. Um, and while that's a true honor, it was nothing I was striving for. You know, I wasn't racing to be the first in, of anything. I was just continuing to do what I love. But um, we did a little more research. And the sad thing was there hasn't been another since. Um, wow. There has been um, another Division One diving coach, um, in, uh, Katora, um, uh, last name with an H. Um, and she's from, lived in Canada. I think she has dual citizenship with Canada and Bermuda. Um, so she and she coached it. She did grad school and a one year at GW after diving at Texas and then coached at GW for a year. Um, and now she lives in Bermuda and is doing a wonderful job out there uh, with a, with a star, with the stars program. But the fact that we can talk about too. <laughs> um, and it just kind of made me think like, wow, like I knew I never saw anyone that looked like me on the pool deck, but I never thought about really why. And um, I live in a rural area. Um, we don't have diving facilities. The University of Richmond has one, but it's pretty much under lock and key. The only person who can have access to it um, is the coach and they are charged a large some to be able to rent that pool. So, and they get it very minimally. Um, you don't barely get, you barely get both boards at the same time. It's a very challenging um, facility. And I decided, well, you know, I'm stubborn. I'm from New Jersey. You know, I, I, <laughs> I want to make this happen. So I'm going to make this happen. Um, their closest facility, true diving facilities with, is over two hours away for us. Um, and so we really don't have competition. So I just put the word out there and it's amazing. An architecture firm reached out to me and said that they would like to have more information about our project and they would like to be involved. Um, and we are working with 
there's a few local universities here and we're on the, we're in the process of making this happen. Um, wow. Yeah. So it is a long-term goal, um, but it's, I think it's very doable. It's very possible. So, and my one requirement is that it's accessible. It's in the city. It's on the bus line, you know, so we can really get a lot of kids from, from everywhere to, to the program. That's awesome. You don't hear about that too often of new pools being built. You just, I know, I know here at Clarion, it, I know in 2007, it started being used as like a recruiting thing where it's like, you might get a new pool your senior year. And that pool was finished in 2019. And so it's like 12 years to get a pool renovated, let alone a brand new facility. So I, I think that's incredible. And I think it's, you said like, you just, you don't, we don't hear about that. Like I just, I heard about it. It was a year ago, maybe two years ago um, in my hometown, there was one pool that had legitimate one meter diving boards and we used to go there and it was actually in the city. And so we would go there because my parents were like, uh, Heath likes doing flips off the board. This is like pre-diving. This was me be, just being an idiot. And then I saw online that they were like tearing the pool down. And I'm like, what? Like, that's, that's horrible. Like, that's where I started diving. And it's, it's just really sad to see. So um, I think it's awesome to hear your plan and to hear that you have, it sounds like you have a lot of support from not only architecture firms, but the local local uh, community as well. So that's exciting. I'm hoping it continues. Yeah. Yes. All right. So before I get into the, the DEI from USA Diving, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, um, we had a wonderful conversation with Joelle Williams. And she mentioned your name as somebody that we should get on the podcast and we're fortunate enough to have you here. But one thing that stuck out to me in her interview was she mentioned that the people that she looks up to, she mentioned Jennifer Abel, she mentions Kristen Hayden. Who were those people for you when you were going through diving and, and even now uh, in the coaching world? Um, honestly, there was no one of color, um, but I definitely... Um, Michelle Mitchell, um, Megan Nyer, um, like definitely the, the two of them. Um, well, they were actually the ones that had Ron notice me. They were um, coaching at the camp, um, and it, I don't know, like they they they've just always been strong strong women in our sport um but they were always so supportive um and i remember the year that i had an athlete qualify for ncaa's um when i was fishing with sal it was for the men's competition and i walked on the pool deck and i don't remember seeing another female coach on that pool deck wow and the first person that i saw and i felt like almost saved (laughs) was michelle mitchell she was there um not as a coach she was in a, a an administrative role, I guess. Um, and it was just wonderful. She came over, gave me a hug, you know, just was made me feel welcomed because I can't say I really felt like I was. So um, she's always been someone that, that I've looked up to and it's just, yeah. Sure. So let's, let's dive in a little bit to the DEI committee. Um, you're, you mentioned you're on the committee with John Fox, with Mike Wright. How's that going? Um, you know, I saw a bunch of those guys out at Pan Am's. I know you were there. I want to get into another question later, (laughs) 
Um, but how, how's that all going? When do you meet? What's all talked about? Something I'm kind of excited about. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. Joelle's actually on that committee. Um, yes, yes. We did and, find that out. <laughs> yes. And Kristen Hayden. Uh, the, the committee is a wonderful group of, of people, athletes, um, coaches. It, it's, it's a wonderful, passionate group. Um, we all love the sport. We all want to see it grow. We all believe that it can and um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just so cool to have. What I love is that we all live in different parts of the country. So we all experience diving differently. We all experience our programs differently. Um, and that brings a lot to our discussions, to our meetings, um, trying to figure out what our focus should be um, and how it should be guided. Uh, it's, unfortunately, I do believe that it being an Olympic year or a pseudo Olympic year, right? Um, definitely was a challenge because it was hard to focus on our agenda with all of that going on. Um, we have reconvened in August and we are plugging ahead now. Um, we usually meet once, once a month uh, when we have something that's you know pressing or something we really wanna get out and start, or if there's, if there's something really um, urgent on the agenda, we'll meet every other week. Um, but we meet via Zoom, um, and it's just, it's, it's just, it's just wonderful. And I truly hope that it does continue to grow, and we bring more people in. Um, you know, we have, we're just a small group on a committee, and we have subcommittees. John Fox and I co-chair one of the subcommittees. Um, our our subcommittee is to develop, you know, bring more facilities and to be able to give access to more people. So, and I kind of love the fact that it's kind of happening here in Richmond. Um, so, you know, and obviously I live in a suburban area. John lives in a rural area. Those um, are going to be two different, you know, game plans that we're going to come up with to try to get his program to have more people. But it's still, it's, it's wonderful, like I said, having all the different people's experiences through the sport and also currently where they are. Yeah, I, uh, I love that. I'm excited about everything you guys are coming up with. And it's been wonderful to um, talk to a, a few of the different committee members and, and just get this holistic, wow, things are happening. And what can we do to continue that support and that success? And what what can we all do to to be more inclusive? Um, you know, I think you have a, a very unique perspective being at a pit was always a strong diving program in division one, and then you transitioned to division three. And um, you know, I have a at least somewhat of an idea of that going from division one to division two, and then I coached at division three, so it's so I'm curious to hear somebody else's take on the differences. And I think that it'll be great for our young listeners to hear, because I think in a lot of young athletes head, it's division one or bust. And if we can teach student athletes about division two and division three, there's a lot of really good schools. And as you well know, there are some stud divers in division three stud divers. So if you want to explain the differences and your, your experience with them, that would be excellent. Not a problem at all. Um, and yes, I was definitely one of those divers who division one or bust um, and had wonderful opportunities presented to me as a senior in high school 
even off of knee surgery. Um, but when it all came down to it, division one was, I don't want to, I don't want to knock it, but it, it was, it was a lot. It was full-time. It's a full-time job. And my other full-time job was being a student. And sometimes those did not mesh well. Um, you know, if I needed to meet with a group for a project, but practice was at time, I could not miss practice because I would lose my scholarship. I, you know, the, that job comes literally first. Um, and that made it very challenging for me. Uh, I'm also one that has to spend more time with their academics to really get it and understand it and feel very confident going into a test. And some of that time wasn't there. Um, also, you know, I, I know I heard how you run your practices. Um, you, you do have early morning workouts. Yep. Um, I have that at division three. <laughs> so I felt like I really had more of the college experience at D3. I was, I had afternoon practices um, and that, and that's when our conditioning was in our dry land and our board time, it was all meshed into one. Um, our competitions, we didn't travel as far. Our conference was pretty local to where we were. I mean, granted, live in New Jersey, you've got you know states that are all connected within seconds, it seems like. So we really weren't traveling far for our conference. The only time I really got on an airplane or traveled was for NCAAs, um, the first one down in Atlanta. Um, at Emory. And then my second opportunity was at Miami, Ohio. So, um, but the one thing that was great, but at the same time, I kind of missed in my conference, I couldn't say there was that much competition. Um, I was undefeated for, for two years, um, for the two years that I drove D3. And that was cool. That was great. But then when I got to NCAA, Blaze, I was like, whoa, all these other girls do the same dives I do. They're all doing a full two and a half list on three meter. And yep. that was a little bit of an, you know, an eye opener. It was like, okay, yeah. I really have to dive. Um, and, you know, division one, you have to dive every single day at practice just to be yeah. in as the group that's going to the meet, uh, you know, from, from day one, you have to be on your game. Um, Cause not everyone gets to compete. Usually it's sometimes three or four girls. And when you have eight girls on a team, you want to be the one traveling. So um, it, it's just a different world. It's, I think for anyone who is very, very competitive um, and can juggle, you know, multitask uh, uh, three hard things at once, um, you know, because you have social life, which you kind of don't have division one um, and you have, you know, your two jobs, then it's wonderful. And there are so many amazing coaches and programs do one, but I found there's the same. Uh, there's so many amazing coaches at both D2 and D3. So I don't think the quality of coaching differs. You kind of, I don't know D2 um, if they have platforms and some place, but D3 does not. So that was nice on my bones and, my head, you know, didn't have to dive tower anymore. And the fact that I really did get to know a lot of other people on campus with D3. Um, I had friends that were outside of the swimming and dive program who were not, who weren't athletes. And I, it just was a different experience. So my social life was definitely different yeah. and I still got to compete. I still continue to do what I loved and I was still able to excel. Yeah. It's, it's really surreal hearing you explain all the reasons you left division one. Cause they were like, they were spot on exact same reasons why I left. Like I felt like it was a full-time job. I was an average at best student. 
Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm here to get, I knew I was still there to get a degree. And so like everything you said, I'm like, Oh, like you're just home run. And so I think it's, it's fascinating to hear that, that, that is not a unique perspective to me. Um, and, and I just, it was really good. I think you like hit everything. Like it was awesome. I loved hearing how you described everything. Cause that's how you described it is how I would describe it. If I had to describe the difference between division one, two, and three. And, and I tell people, I still tell my, my athletes this day, I'm like, go make friends that aren't swimmers and divers, like go see what other people are doing. And I lived with eight other guys in college that not one was a swimmer or diver. And I think I, to this day, think that was like a blessing in disguise. Cause that gave me a space to get away from it. So then when I was at the pool, like I was at the pool. So, um, just really neat to hear a similar perspective. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about junior Pan Ams that just happened this week. So I'm not sure the timing of this episode, we might be a couple weeks later. Um, but you were down there for a different reason. The FINA certification for judging, they had one of those locations where you do the shadow judging. Can you explain kind of step one of how to go through that and then essentially where you're at now with that? Um, well, I'll definitely tell you my experience, I think is slightly different than the typical because it was such short notice. Normally they, <laughs> they had a time. Um, I think we knew a weekend before. Um, <laughs> oh, it was yeah, so they, last minute. Yeah. They made the announcement. Um, I think on, <laughs> and you had to be in Tucson by the class starting on Wednesday morning. Um, and this is where I'm so fortunate to have a child that has grown up and is actually overseas at university at a soccer academy. So he, you know, I had only had to find someone to take care of my dog and my program here. I have three wonderful um, assistant coaches that I knew I was leaving it in good hands. So I found every which way I could to get on a plane and get down there. Well, actually apply first, because you have to, you do have to um, apply um, through USA Diving. And then they, and you have to have a current passport that I think has at least six months. Um, I think that was a requirement of ability to, to travel. Um, the best part too, is you had to get a COVID test that was in 72 hours of arrival. So we're finding out on Saturday, you have to be there by Wednesday. So the COVID test, is yesterday, I mean, the day before Saturday, right? You know, um, so I was able to fortunately get a COVID test on Sunday or Monday. I think it was Monday. Um, and it did come in in time for me to walk into the, into the school. Um, but I mean, outside of those abnormalities, it is an experience I would suggest anyone tries. Um, and and even if you aren't selected to be a judge, you know, to, to travel the world, because a lot of these judges that were there do, and I was in all of them, uh, just the experience and seeing diving from a view that I've never seen before. Yes, I've judged, um, you know, but when it's coaches judging, it's so different than the panel of you know, judges from different countries judging. Um, but the school works where you go and spend the first full day um, going over 
the, the rules um, and going over what we're look, what they're looking for, watching dives, critiquing them, discussing them. Um, it was so informative. It was just, it was, that was, and that's a full day. That's from like 10 o'clock in the morning to five o'clock at night um, that we did that. And then the next day, what typically happens is the judging panel is already there for the event. And those who are in the school, a lot of the people are people who are being recertified, but they have already done judging before. Um, and then the new people, we shadow. And so it would be done that, you know, you're scoring, but your scores don't count. You know, you're, you're being compared. Yep. You can also discuss with someone. Um, well, it is very hot in Tucson. And um, there weren't as many people that were there that they would normally love to have for an event, for a junior event, because um, there are lots of events that happen in one day. And everyone except for me were judges already. They were just getting me certified. So they threw us right on to the panels. <laughs> my experience was just slightly different because my score counted. <laughs> um, they did let me watch two events beforehand, but then I did judge um, one event the, the first day and then three events the next day. But wow. really though, it was, it was amazing. Um, I, you know, might've had one or two that I saw something that no one else saw. Um, but overall, uh, I felt very comfortable and it was just, it, it was the group of people. I mean, they are truly, even though we spoke different languages and they live in different parts of the world, like we're all human and they all were very supportive and, and it just was, it was a great group. Um, and even though they could tell I probably was like the most nervous person in the world, it, it was just wonderful. Um, and I, and like I said, being a coach that's still someone who's still coaching, most of them are not coaches anymore. Um, so from some of the other countries they are, but the people from the United States, most of them are, um, are not. And for me, it was great because now I have validation of why I'm teaching a child something this way or why I want their arms a certain way or why I want their hurdle to be fluid and not all choppy and just all these different things because these are things that we pinpoint you know, when you're judging. Um, the crow hops do count. It's a half to two points off. Um, you know, the split tuck. Uh, you know that also and it's judge's discretion but and then a hurdle that doesn't get to the end of the diving board like uh, and you know safe distance versus you know too close like all these different things that you are calculating in your head uh while you're you know judging it's pretty neat to really go inside the mind of a judge and see wow this is why i always got fives on this dive or this is you know it brought me back to my diving to be like okay now i get it and you know and unfortunately it wasn't explained to me why you know i was getting fives um you know when i was actually diving on some some of my dives but it allows me to come back i think as a stronger coach if i don't get an experience to be picked to because a lot of the judges that were there they're going to be going to the junior pan am games which is in cali columbia uh, next month and then a large group of them also have already been selected and they're going to, um, uh, oh my gosh, I totally forgot where the next place is, um, Kiev. Um, so, you know, it was neat to be sitting with people who are going to be at these big events. 
right? So whoever gets called, I love it. If it doesn't, I had an amazing experience. It's I had a little bit of a follow up. You mentioned, you know, now you have this extra validation of why you coach the way you do. Um, I had a wonderful example of of this just two days ago. I had a, a, a judge who is primarily a swimming judge. So I coach high school mm-hmm. and I judge high school and I also do it at the state level. You know, we have a, our own certification qualifying um, for, for that. And I had one of the swimming judges come up to me and say, hey, can I come to practice? And just we just talk about wow. things like this and and can I listen to you coach your girls and, and then you tell me what you would have scored and why? And it was really, really fun because I had a perfect example. You know, one of my girls, she leans a little bit too far forward on a back press for my liking. And, you know, as I'm explaining this to the other official, my girls are kind of eavesdropping and they're like, wait, what? And I said, yes, you have heard me say this many times. I want you to stand up straight because if you're leaning forward, I can dock you a half to two points on your starting position. That is in the rules. And they look at me and they're like, wait, are you actually docking for that? I said, yes, of course I am. So, so it was just one of those like, oh my gosh, yeah, I just had that happen to me this week. And I, can you expand on that? Are there some of those that you see with your coaching style as well now that you have this certification? Well, uh, totally. And actually, I came back late last night and this morning, well, this afternoon's practice, I've already changed one of my boys, his back uh, press because what he does looks awkward. And I'm like, let's try to not make him look so awkward. I know that's a comfortable way for him to stand so he feels like he's over the board. But I was watching, um, I think it was some of the kids from Mexico, and the way that they stand um, looked interesting to me, but it worked like no other. So let's try that. Let's see how that looks. And it looked definitely more fluid. And and it's just like, it was amazing. And he, the look on his face when he tried it, he was like, whoa, like he really could stand up like no other, just changing where his arms were when he started. Um, And and that also like lifted his chest a little bit. It was, it, yeah, it, it's, it really does make a difference to see and hear what you're looking for and then realize, wow, my kids don't do that or they do do that or whatever. Um, but I think it's so important for the athletes to know that the minute, and obviously in international competitions, they have the whistle. We don't have the whistle in high school. In our high schools, we don't. Um, and um, I haven't been, I haven't been in junior meeting year, so I don't know. But that is one thing that we talk about as judges is we have to start training these kids younger, that the whistle is when like, they start and they don't move. They shouldn't move to the end of the diving board until the whistle. Because a lot of kids, even though they know they're doing a backward inward, they start walking down to the end of the board before it's announced, um, before the whistle is referee blows the whistle um but literally your approach the minute you're standing like we judge that first step we judge like everything that you're that you're doing it's not just the hurdle or the or or the execution of the dive um and i think people forget that 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 approach is definitely part of your score yeah yeah absolutely yeah, I think, is there anything else you can think of that you took besides just maybe that that posture 
Um, or is there anything you think you do different in training that maybe has benefited your athletes that maybe you're like, Oh, I wish more coaches tried this. Cause it really works for me. If you're willing to share some of your secrets. I don't have secrets. I have sarcasm. Um, that's what my kids told me. I asked them today. I said, so if there's a trader, follow them, how I coach, they're like they, three of them all at once at sarcasm. I'm like, okay. And they're like, <laughs> because and one of them was like, no, like when you ask the kid, if they're an elephant and they're like, no, then, then why, why do you think your ears are out here? You know? And, and, you know, and I'll say, and I'll ask a child, you know, why, um, you know, Hey, come here, stand over here. And they'll stand next to me. I was like, can you put your arms up? And they do. I'm like, oh, so they do go up. So do that off the board. You know, like that's that's how I coach. I do coach with sarcasm. Um, because number one, it should always be fun. If you are not having fun at practice, if you are not enjoying it, then you don't belong there. Like, I don't want you on my pool deck because you should be enjoying every minute. Yes, you smack. That's not fun, but we'll make it fun, you know. Um, and it's just I want to keep things enjoyable. So uh, there really are, I don't have any tricks. And part of, I think my coaching also comes from my background in teaching. I switched careers to raise my son and I became a middle school math teacher, science and math teacher for the past 12 years. And what I found, especially with math, there's not one right way. There are 10 different ways to get the answer to the same problem. And my biggest thing when I was teaching, I never told a child that they had to do it a certain way. And I always tell their parents don't help them with their homework because the way you did it is not the way that they're learning. And I always use the analogy of you start a new job and you're doing data processing, whatever, right? And you're sitting there, someone trained you on your job. You're sitting there doing your job, but you're kind of confused and not, not quite sure how to do it. Someone else walks over. And they're like, oh, no, 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 this is so easy. You do it this way. And they teach you another way to do the same thing. So now you're sitting there still confused with two different ways to do the same thing, still not knowing what you should be doing. So I always tell parents, like, just let, let your child stumble and come back and I will help them get through what they're not understanding. But because of that, then I have to find a different way to tell that child the, the same, but a different way to get to the same end goal. That's the same thing with coaching. I mean, we all use... 10,000 different terms of arms by your ears um, or narrow reach or stretch to the ceiling. Those are all ways your arms are going to go up, right? Yep. Um, one thing I like to say, because a lot of kids, when they swing through, they think swinging your arms through, but is fine if you reach from your hands. Well, then you have a bent arm. I always say swing from your elbows. If you swing from your elbows, your arms aren't going to bend because you're reaching up through your elbows. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, some kids, that's what they need. They need to find a different part of their body to focus on, to make that same end result. So I, I do teach and coach each child individually. And I always tell my athletes, don't dare listen to what I'm telling him, because that's not what I want you to do. Yep. <laughs> I'm telling you the same thing, but a different way. So don't try to interpret what I'm telling this person, because yeah. that will not be good in the end. If you do the same thing, because yeah. it's all physics, you know? You, you know, might have a team all girls or a team all boys, but they're all built differently. Their strengths and their muscles are all, yes, they have this, muscles, but they're all different. You've got to coach them according to the physics of their body and the board. So. It, it brings me so much joy hearing you say, put your arms up. Oh, they do do that. Cause I just coached a clinic this weekend and I had a, a young boy at the clinic that was doing a back dive and throwing his head back. And so I looked at him and I said his name and I go, I want you to, pick your head up and now put it down and pick it up 
and put it down. And he goes, why am I doing this? I go, I'm just making sure you can physically do this. And I said, you have no problem keeping your head down right now. So why don't we do this in the dive? And he goes, oh, okay. He kept his head down the rest of the weekend. Yeah, you have to make them aware of that body part. Yeah, it's like, hey, you know, and it's like, I think sometimes I definitely am more um, aggressive with my college team. And I think they would say I'm more of a jerk, but it's like I can I can make different jokes to them. Like I have uh, an ex gymnast on the team and she comes out of back one half tuck and throws her head back and she whips over and she's getting ready to do two oh fives. And I'm like, you don't get to do two oh five if we're going to whip out of this. And so we start talking about kick to the wall and see the record board. Cause you want your name on that one day. And like that clicked for her though. And it's like, now she kicks right at the record board and she looks back and she still goes a little wide, a little crazy with her arms, but it's controlled. And she's like, I don't know why that worked, but it worked. And it's just, right. uh, it just, and it's like, I, Aaron and I say this all the time. I don't care what someone tells you, what coach tells you, I go, if it works and it makes you better, that's all that matters. Yes. So, and I think that's 100% what we see all around the world. Yeah. Everyone's taught the same sport in different ways, and we have these wonderful results. Yeah, so. absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to steal the swing with your elbows because yeah. Oh, yeah. I not only am I guilty of saying, hey, you know, reach with your hands. I have said that so many times. But also I have a young lady who, who she, she's pretty solid. She can do a killer reverse dive, but on reverse one and a half, those elbows get extremely bent and it's like, okay, how can I say, keep your elbows straight, swing with your elbows, not your hands. I love that one. That was, that was huge. I'm going to use that on Monday. (laughs) I mean, tomorrow morning. (laughs) Oh yeah. Tomorrow morning in dry land. Yeah. Okay, so you had an article written about you, and um, the article was called Rags to Riches. Now, you started diving a little late, and, and you, you would use the word late at 13 years of age. I Coaching high school, sometimes that's, uh, that's pretty early for some of the kids I get, especially the snowboarders I recruit. Um, but uh, talk to us about that article. What was that about, and how uh, how'd you find out about it? Um, well, it was written by um, a local newspaper in my senior year of college when I was headed to NCAAs. Um, I was, I think it's Sports Center or Sports something, um, some news channel, <laughs> some sports channel um, in the tri-state area. Um, I was active of the week and then, and they did a little spot on me and then the newspaper did something like, uh, you know, the amazing maze, you know, undefeated for two seasons, headed to NCAAs, blah, blah, all this fun stuff. And um, they dug into my my history a little bit with, you know, the, re- the reasons why I left D1. And, and it started, and it's funny because, like, I say it's the rags riches story. I didn't know I lived. Um, I am very fortunate to have been adopted by a wonderful um Italian family grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. Um, and there were not many people that looked like me. Um, and, but I had an older brother who was also adopted. He's biracial, he's multiracial, he's Italian, Armenian, and black. I'm, uh, my mother's white, my biological father is black. And, um, and like I said, we were raised in a 
by an Italian family in a Jewish neighborhood. I had two siblings that are biological to my parents. So I had a sister who's just a few months younger, she's white, and my younger brother. Um, and, you know, they made this story like, you know, oh, you know, was given up for adoption by an unwed 16 year old um, and was, you know, adopted in the 70s. And, you know, that just happened to be when I was born. So that's when I was adopted. And then, you know, it just, just the story was so funny because it really made it seem like, wow, like, woe is me. And yes, we all go through things in life. Like we all have our ups and downs. And I don't think you can be, you know, a successful athlete or successful in any part of your life if you don't have those ups and downs. Um, and my ups and downs were going to pit and being called some not nice things by um, the basketball players. They questioned, like, when you go to pit, because you know it goes August and winter, um, you automatically, you get a leather, letterman's jacket. And I was wearing my letterman's jacket to lunch or dinner or whatever, one of the meals in the athlete cafeteria. And basketball players had asked me, you know, who's that? Whose jacket is that? And I said, it's mine. And they're like, nah, it's your boyfriend's. I'm like, no, it's my jacket. And they're like, well, what sport do you do? And I'm like, and I just kind of looked at them like, what's the matter? And then they started guessing the sports. And the first one they said was, well, it's not basketball. I'm like, no, I definitely do not play basketball. And they're like, well, you run track? I'm like, no, I'm not on the track team. And by then I realized exactly what they're doing. They're pegging me into sports that you find black women doing. Um, and then one of them was like, you're on the soccer team. That's the only logical sport that I could be doing outside of those two. And I said, no, I don't play soccer. And then they were so dead set convinced that it was someone else's letterman's jacket because they had gone through all the sports that I could possibly do. And then I finally thought that maybe I would be able to keep them quiet by telling them the sport. I said, I'm a diver. I'm on the swim team. And the first reaction out of one of them was to call me an Uncle Tom. And um, sad thing was I really had to, I had to go back and ask a friend. I'm like, why would they call me that? And they said, well, it's a black person that's trying to be white. And I just, it was so like almost mind numbing to me that someone would even think that because I grew up in a white family, I grew up in a white society. And I, you know, really never truly connected because I never had the opportunity to connect to the black culture, right? So, to that part of me and to be called out for not being black and being called out for being in a white man's sport. Like it just, you know, and yes, there wasn't anyone else that looked like me, but it didn't mean that that is, you know, a sport that I couldn't be a part of. Um, and that, you know, those attacks came quite often to the point that I would, I stopped eating and didn't go into the cafeteria. And, um, and it turned into me one time literally passing out in the locker room. And when the trainers make, I came to, and they were, they're like, you know, what happened? You know, uh, you know when, what did you eat? What was the last thing you ate? And I said, I had a banana and I was so proud of myself. And one, then the next trainer says, when? And I said, three days ago. Um, I like, my goal was to stay as far away from those other athletes as I could. And I thought I was accomplishing something by doing that. Um, but, you know, that obviously was not working out well. 
And that was the main reason why I stopped diving. I stayed at Pitt because then I didn't have to eat in their cafeteria. I didn't have to be up where they were because Trees Hall was where the diving and it just, I could, I could avoid because it was a big enough campus. I didn't have to be around them. And that is also why when I came, when I just finally decided to go back to diving, I didn't try to go back to another big division one school um, because I didn't think it'd be any different. And I went back to a program that I felt safe at. I went back to my junior coach, my first original junior coach and dove there because I knew what I was walking into. I knew my surroundings. And um, so, yes, I mean, that is part of the rags to riches story. Um, it is definitely not a happy part, but it made me who I am. Um, and, and what was neat though, was that story was sent to the NCAA and it was in the brochure at that, at um, the Miami, Ohio um, national champ at the championships. And so people were reading it. So, you know, they, they showcased a few athletes, you know, beforehand. And I was one of the divers they showcased. And it was the neatest thing because I had met my biological mom. Um, that was part of me leaving Pitt was, you know, I'm told that my mom has blonde hair, blue eyes and stands five foot two. And I'm like, but look at me. I don't have any of those features or uh, like, so really, is this just, is she really? Like, I want to know. Um, and also I got tired of going to the doctor and them, them asking me, do you have a family history of blah, blah. I said, I don't know for all, I mean, I'm the first person in my family. So I didn't have those. I didn't, wasn't able to answer those questions. So for me, um, I looked for my biological mom and it was awesome. That's a whole different story, you know, for another day, but at NCAAs, both my parents were there and my biological mom. And it was funny because she sat between my two parents and everyone kept looking like, okay, now there's three white people there. Which one? <laughs> they still couldn't figure out like what's going on here. Um, and so that was, it was fun to see people like, you know, staring and looking like, well, that must be her mom. because She's really tall, but that was my, that's my mother. That's the woman who raised me. And you know, that that's my mom. My biological mom was a little blonde lady sitting between them. <laughs> And the other cool part about that too was that was the first time my father ever saw me dive. Um, I am very fortunate that my parents provided the world for all four of their children. We all lived four different lives in the same household, but that's because my father always worked. He always made sure that he provided for us, but with that meant he missed a lot of our accomplishments. Um, and you know, I was able to see my brother's football, basketball, baseball games and see my sister's piano recitals and my younger brother acting because that was all done in our home, like in our neighborhood. Diving, as you know, is not in your backyard. Um, my dad couldn't travel to these meets and stuff. And he was able to travel to, um, to NCAA Blaze and watch me dive and watch me crash and burn on one board and watch me totally succeed on the other. Um, but it was vice, vice versa. I totally succeeded um, one, one meter and then crashed and burned on three meter. But it was awesome to have him there to witness that. So, wow. Yeah, my rags to riches story, right? Uh, that, I love that. I mean, wow. There's, there's a lot to unpack there and a lot of things that obviously shaped who you are. I mean, I think about that pit story and it, it's, I, I would love to say right now that that wouldn't happen in our country, but I have no idea. I don't know what it's like. I have no clue. And to hear you go through something like that, um, 
it, it it's tough. It's, it's really, really hard to, to, I can't even put myself in that mindset. You know, it, it's incredible that you have become who you've become with your story and, and everything kind of shapes you along the way. I'm it, it, very, very impressive. So I guess it's time for our signature questions. So Aaron, you want me to go first this time? I feel like I, you always go first. All right. Well, you got to save the last one that you ask for last. So okay. you, you go ahead. All right. So uh, first things, my fa- first question is, what is your favorite drill to do with your athletes, whether it's dry land or water? It just depends on the day. But um, I, think I, I think I heard another coach say this or something similar but I pretty much, I love the, um, you know, sevens to get out type thing. Like you, we've got it. I think someone calls it carousel or something like that. Um, might be a tweaked version of it, but you know, whatever. And this is kind of cool because it's the last dive they're working on. So kids who lollygag and say, I said, this is what work you can do them in any order you want. Um, and then that night, sometimes when I see some kids have not really gone after it or saved their scariest dives for last, um, in their minds, you know, I'm like, all right, okay. You know, you're not done to you know, hit this dive for sevens. Um, obviously after they've tried a million times and they don't, you might let them slide, but you do see them all of a sudden, like, you know, all right. Like, you know, it becomes a fun contest, but that's one of my favorite drills to do. Um, at a water practice. Yeah. So funny. You mentioned <laughs> that I like stick it. Yes. Funny you mentioned uh, do it for sevens to get out. So at my clinic this weekend, I had a, a little girl. She was she's nine and she's pretty talented and she she does lessons with us periodically. But so she's real talented and she likes to uh, have fun with me at practice. She messes with me all the time and she is just full of piss and vinegar. And so she looks at me and I go you need to do your front dive tuck on three meter for sevens or better to get out. She looks at me, laughs at me and goes, okay, this will be easy. Goes up, does the first one smokes it, but she twists a little. So I'm like, I'm not giving you sevens. She goes up. I go to help another athlete on the TiVo system we have. And she did one for, it had to be like eight and a half. Like it was <laughs> amazing. So I call her over and I go, I need to have a talk with you. And I, I try to do good with my little athletes that I get down on their level. So I, I kneel down. So why do you not do it like that all the time? She looks at me, goes, she goes, because I don't have to. <laughs> and I go, yes, you do. So then today at our last practice, I go, you have to do all of them for six and a half or better, or they don't count all of them just drills them. And I'm like, do this all the time. <laughs> she just laughs at me. She just laughs. But uh, so, yeah, so it's funny you said, so best advice uh, you have either given and or received. Hmm. Um, it's definitely advice I've been given more recently. Um, and I think I've probably been told to me my whole life. I just finally started listening to it, um, is be true to yourself. Um, I can definitely say that is not how I've been for a large part of my life. I always tried to fit in, um, and be, be not be someone else, but just not really be hundred percent me. Like I hold back a lot of who I am in certain situations, um, just to not stand out, to not be 
um, you know, the center of attention. Yeah. And I learned that I don't have to, like, I, can, I can truly be me and, and, and be okay and be safe. So yeah, be true to you. I feel a lot better too. It's amazing. <laughs> oh yeah. That's I, I tell people the best, one of the best compliments I can ever give you is you are unapologetically you. And I'm like, and I love that when I get to say that to people. Yeah. All right. So my signature questions here, what is your favorite failure or just your best learning experience from, from life or diving? I touched on it a little bit with the Rags to Riches story. It was NCAAs. Um, Division three is kind of wonky with how you get there. Like you get a qualifying score. And I don't know, this was like over 20 odd some years ago that I did this. So I hope it has changed, but I think I just heard recently it has not. And that is just sad. But you qualify, you get there. So there's a lot of athletes there. And you have to once again qualify and make the top 26. And so some kids come all the way up to NCAAs just to be sent home two days later. Um, and so that process, you know, that was fine. And then, and then um, you still do your voluntaries and optionals, right? So um, you do two full lists and, and to qualify. And then you do your full list again. And then they take away the optionals and you do, it's a top eight, go to finals. Um, well, by the last night of the three meter, I had already done, I don't know, it seemed like a million lists. And because of when diving happens, it happens in between swimming, but then you, so you dive in between when the swimming prelims are done, but then you have to come back at finals the same time that they do. So there was no rest. There's no, and I didn't know I was in an endurance sport. I later learned, yes, diving is an endurance sport. I was not trained to be an endurance athlete. I am a sprinter, jumper. I, that's, I test twitch and it does not recover quickly. So, um, you know, it, it, it was the fact that I was going strong and actually my one meter event, I was in the top, you know, five or whatever. I think actually top three going into my last dive. My last dive was a front one and a half double, uh, front double twisting one and a half. And um, judges didn't think I did it. Um, though I, I failed my last dive and prelims. And it dropped me from like the top three down to eighth place. And there was one diver behind me who was in 10th place and she had front two and a half. And if she smoked it, she would have dropped me right down. Um, I am very fortunate she did not. <laughs> because she ended up right behind me in ninth place by a margin, a, a smidge. But when it came to finals, now I'm in first, I'm going first because I was in last place. And um, we kept my double twister in and um, I didn't have it as my last dive that time. And I did it and it was funny because everyone was questioning what she's gonna make it, she's gonna do it. And yes, because I'd never failed it before. So that was beyond a fluke that I did. Uh, did that dive fine and started to climb, started to climb, started to climb. And my last dive, you know, you have a cleanup dive, right? You have one that you can literally do with your eyes closed. And I did in with one and a half and was very grateful. I dropped it in for eight. And, you know, and the announcer, of course, makes it exciting, you know, eight, eight, eight across the board, right? Um, and it was funny watching my parents in the stands because each diver had to go after me. And the leader name stays on the board. So every time after a diver went, like my name still stood up there. And then from the, when the first place, when the first place person went and my name was up there, like it was, it was awesome. It was insane. 
So then that was a wonderful experience. Great night, three meters the next day, beyond not able to do anything anymore. But um, my coach and I, for some wonderful reason, still decided to keep my back two and a half pike in for finals. Um, and well, let's say the announcer was excited to announce a 3.0 dive, but not too excited to announce the scores I got on that dive. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one went pretty much close to even with the water. And I, lived, I went into finals in first place and ended up finishing in eighth place. So the, it was funny, like one coach actually wrote, wrote a letter to me saying, if I wasn't there to witness it myself, I would not have believed that this was your experience at NCAAs. Like you literally were in first, drop yourself to eighth, were in eighth, brought yourself up to first, whereas in first, drop yourself to eighth. Like who does that, right? Um, I do, I do those things. That's my life, right? Just constant roller coaster. So that is like my biggest fail, but also my biggest learning experience. Um, sorry to make it such a long, long experience, but it, it really it taught me so much as an athlete and now as a coach. And now I make all my kids run marathons so they can dive in college. Um, no, I really don't, but like <laughs> you need it. Is it's just it totally changed the way I trained later. Um, so I trained for a few more years after that, and I realized I needed that component of endurance. And I didn't yeah. have. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, those- so, so I was going to say, it's funny you mentioned that. So Division Three Nationals has changed. So there was a time frame. Well, you're going to – I don't think you'll like what they changed it to after that. <laughs> so they changed it to you got a score, and then you submitted a video. And then they had a bunch of coaches that watched the video, scored it out, and the top however many got invited. And now they have since changed it to a zone format similar to Division One, which I, I liked a lot. But it's funny you mentioned the pre-qualification meet because Division <laughs> Two still does that. Yes, it is a marathon. Oh. It's, it's. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm. I'm probably insulting too many people, but as an athlete that could not survive that marathon, but I was a good diver. Yet I couldn't prove it because you exhausted me. Like yeah. I didn't yeah. practice that hard all week, and you know, and I'm diving, doing more dives than I would do normally in a week of training. So. Yep. It's, yep. it's definitely a grind day. Heath and I both go division two and, and that yep. pre-qualification meet, I mean, you're, you're warming up one meter, you're competing one meter, you're warming up three meter, you're competing three meter. And like, I was somebody who, who dealt with a fair amount of injuries. You know, I had a, I had a shoulder issue. I had a back issue. And you know, when you get to that senior year pre-qualification yep. meet, you're like, I just want to get through this. Yep. <laughs> Everything hurts. I want to yeah. go home, but not really. Cause I love this. I want to be here. I want to win, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a tough, tough ask to, to make all of that happen in one day. I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So uh, even though we talked about, you know, how wonderful division two and division three are, I think we just totally turned it around now. <laughs> It's the Iron Man of diving the the NCAA's for yep. for that yeah you know, but yeah it's, it's worth, intense right because we all walked away loving our experiences so yep yes absolutely. yes absolutely made us all stronger okay yes. so the last one I had here from my side is what uh, what can USA diving do to improve um, you know we've had many conversations with people inside the organization uh, it's very clear we need USA diving to succeed and. What are the things that we can do, whether it's the DEI committee or just things in general? What, uh, what can we do within USA Diving? Um, I, I love what they're trying to do, what they're going to do. Sorry, not trying. They are doing it. 
um, with the school in Florida, with making, you know, the, yeah. that's going to be huge. And I think that needs to be expanded. Um, you know, there are so many new divers. I mean, I, I, I look and I see who these divers are, or coaches, sorry, not our new divers, hopefully all the time, but there's new young coaches and I'm looking at two of them right now. Um, and, you know, you, you don't come in knowing everything and yeah. it's hard to get everything. I mean, like, I don't know. I just feel like we are so separated um, and people aren't as welcoming as they used to be with, you know, group training or bringing your team, Oh, bring your team over. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll work together. You can watch us. Um, or if there is, there's a huge price tag on that to, you know, go train with, with someone, which, I mean, I'm not knocking anyone for making money because we all know how much diving pays. Right. <laughs> um, I think if you as a diving can incorporate those kind of development, those kind of trainings, like, um, you know, offering coaches and, and to bring a few athletes. Cause we used to have that. We used to be able to travel with, a, with a, your team coach and a few athletes and get these experiences from some of the top coaches in the country yeah. and bring that back. Um, you know, if our goal is to develop the best athletes, I don't understand why we're not sharing more, why yeah. we're not working together more. Um, and I think that's something I would hope that USA Diving is continuing to grow towards and, and do, um, you know, my decision to come back to coaching diving pretty much came right when COVID happened. So I haven't had a large experience back in USA diving. So I can't really talk too much about what I'd like to see because I haven't been there to see where it is. Um, cause I'd be talking back from my experience, you know, 12 years ago. And I'd like to think it's changed since then. Yeah. I, I know I had, you know, we talked, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but, uh, I had my first USA nationals experience this summer with an athlete and, and my experience was very different. I was invited out to dinner with a few coaches and they, I had coach these coaches that I never thought I would even be sitting at the same table with. And they're like, how can we help you? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like you're at these giant D one schools. I'm at this small D two school. Like, I think it's amazing. Like I'm definitely biased, but I love Clarion and it's like, you guys want to help me. And they're like, yeah, like that's what we're all here for our athletes. And so at least the, the coaches that I met, it was, it was very much sit here, listen, ask questions. And so I hope that that's different whenever you get to get back on the pool deck here soon. And, uh, and hopefully we can keep making strides that way. And I think this having you on and having these other amazing coaches on like yourself has really helped open the doors for that conversation. I think people don't know what they don't know. Like people don't yes. know, like, oh, I'm in this situation where I can actually help others. Well, let me open my door. Like, I think if they just knew that we'd be happy to walk in those doors, like that would be awesome. And then, and yes, I'm older, but I've been out of coaching for a bit. And I would love to see, like this hot hurdle was not around when I was out. Um, and I was talking to some judges the other day. I'm like, my gosh, if I had a hot hurdle, Oh my gosh, the dives I could have done because that was my big thing. I could jump. Um, and I loved going as high as I could. And if you gave me more springs, that would have been amazing. But um, but it's not really an approach that I truly understand. So I'd right. love to go and talk to the best and learn yeah. and understand why we're doing that hurdle. Yeah. You know, those kind of things. And I just think that they don't uh, they if they knew more of us would be happy. And yeah. And I, yeah, you're right. They would be welcome. And that's, that's a great, 
it's a great way to put it. Like you don't know what you don't know. And it's like me, Aaron and I are always on the same page. I'm like, I don't know how I would say this. Let's ask a few people. And it's like, I, I'm never worried about if people think I'm silly. Cause I always say I'm stupid. I was like, but I'm always trying to learn. And that's probably why I always want to try to learn. Cause I'm always like, Oh, there's more to learn. So I think top coaches and they, they, sorry to cut you off, but oh, you're good. They did not. I mean, like Drew Johansson did not get where he was just by doing his own thing. Like he was definitely someone that, you know, asked questions and, and educated himself. So every, every opportunity he could, um, I mean, there's like, you know, 40 other coaches I can name that I know have done. So that, and maybe that's also advice I'd give to younger coaches is just because you're, in a coaching position at a, at a university, no one expects you to know it all. Like go and continue. You're at a place of, of, you know, higher education, go become more educated and it might not happen on campus. So, yeah. And then our our last, our last question is uh, who would you like to hear us interview next? Um, I would be I would repeat five different people that people have already said. Like, I mean, I love the man. Um, I've heard some already say him. Um, and, you know, uh, I think Kristen Hayden, her experience, I mean, she's a, uh, and I actually went to trials to watch her death um, to see, you know, barriers being broken. Um, because I'll give you a little insight because I'm old and no one would say this anymore to someone. And Kristen Hayden proved this. But I was told by a coach that no matter how good I became, I would never represent our country. So, um, you know, but that's the 90s. You know, we are so not living in that time frame with our sport anymore. Um, so I was so excited to see that there are multiple women that qualified, multiple women of color that qualified for Olympic trials and did, did go. So um, I don't know. I think it'd be neat to hear her view on it and her experience considering that she is the first the final and did an amazing job and she's still continuing which makes me so excited awesome awesome yeah we we uh i sent a message to ron o'brien on facebook i'm like facebook friends with him so i'm like maybe he'll check the facebook but besides that it's like so hard to find any contact info for him right now but and we'll keep working on Kristen hayden i know we messaged her once before but we'll keep working on her well, I have contact with both of them. Maybe, you know, they get a few nudges in different directions. You never know what can happen. Yep. There you go. Yep. And I'll let them know this is painless, so they don't have to work. <laughs> yes, that would be easy. great. Hey, I know you were a little nervous coming on, but uh, hopefully we, we kind of ease that. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to say before I, I go through the final here is, um, you know, you, you certainly do make 29 years old look really, really good. So, you know, you mentioned your age a few times, but... Uh, 29 looks, looks certainly good on you. That's for sure. I truly hope I don't have a 19 year old at 29. Just saying. <laughs> but. Yes. Good point. Fair point. <laughs> All right, well, before, math. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> uh, before we get out of here, make sure to hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod. And then our email account is the diving pod at gmail.com. We still have t-shirts and hoodies for sale at cowingrobards.com. You got to enter the code DivePod at checkout. That gets you free shipping. So t-shirts are 15 bucks. Hoodies are 30. That is my family's business. So I will be shipping them out to you personally. I like to write a little message in everybody's 
gift bag there. It's so, uh, so get on there and order those up. I'll send you a t-shirt or a hoodie, whatever you'd like. And, um, Diane here is going to get a free one. That's what we like to send to all of our guests. So we'll, uh, we'll contact her after the show to get some information and get one out to her. But just before we go, I wanted to say thank you. Thanks again for coming on. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. This was so much fun. Good. All right. We'll see you next time. Yeah.